Well, today we're going to talk about um, God's plan for planet Earth, God's plan for the world. I, I thought about this topic because over the years, many years of talking to many people, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, talking to people who were born and raised in church like I was, and maybe some of you were, and those, thank you, Caleb, and those who I've talked to who said, I've never been in church in my life except for a wedding. Now, see, that was so foreign to me because I was in church the very first Sunday I was alive, at least that's what they tell me, and so when somebody I've met that's 30 or 40 years old, they said, I've never been in the worship service in the church anywhere ever except when I went to a wedding. That's the only time I was in church. So talking to people from all different aspects, many, many, many of them over many, many years, I come to realize that I don't think people understand the basic plan God has for the world. And it's a, a, a plan that when we look at it, you might go, wow, he, he should have had a better plan. But <laughs> nonetheless, this is God's plan. And God's sharp. He knows what he's doing. Although sometimes we wonder, really? Because from our earthly perspective, we get different ideas about God. So God's plan for planet Earth, we're going to look at just biblical things because we want to work at, you hear me mention this phrase every now and then, I'm going to lean into it over the next few services a little bit, but, but having a, a, a Christian worldview, everybody has a worldview, it's how you see the world, the lens you make decisions by, you know, how you think things ought to operate, everybody has a worldview, and I believe we Christians ought to have a Christian worldview, how we see the world, and so we're going to look at this. And I want to tell you this because you, you may have never heard something like this before and go, I don't know about that. That just doesn't seem right. We're just going to talk about the Bible, what the Bible says today. So this isn't some fringe idea that, you know, I'm like the only one that discovered this or came up with this. This is just Bible 101 that we're going to look at today. Now, you may look at it and say, well, I don't like the God's plan. Or you may say, I don't choose to believe the Bible. There's all kinds of uh, ways you could look at it. But we're going to look at what the Bible says about how God wanted to use the world, and how he set up the world. So we're going to go to the beginning to see what God was up to. So we're going to look in Genesis in chapter 1, and we're going to read out of a, a paraphrase called the Message Bible by Eugene Peterson. Paraphrases are not translations, but they are very scholarly works. So if you're not a fan of paraphrases, I get it. You can look this over this week in your favorite translation. You'll see that saying just what what the message says, just that the message uses different choices of words, like a lot of translations do as well. So here we are in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. You're probably familiar with this line. Make them reflecting our nature, so they can be what? Responsible. So they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike. Don't miss that. That's all throughout the scripture. That's not a cultish thing. He made us godlike. Now, not capital G, but little g, godlike. We're to reflect God. We're to be like God. He said, let us make man in our image, the King James says, after our likeness. What's he saying? They're going to be godlike, these human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature, he created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take what? Take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, 
and every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And by the way, we human beings are living things that move upon the face of the earth as well. Now, depending upon your favorite translation, this says take charge. Some will say uh, exercise authority, have dominion, rulership. Those are key words that are used in, in any translation. Rulership, authority, dominion, take charge. So I want to ask a question, not a trick question. But God created human beings and he told them to take charge. So I want to ask the question, I just answered it for you, so I want to ask the question, who's in charge of planet Earth? We are, we are. Oh, that's not true. I've been in church all my life, never heard that. I just read you the Bible. I didn't make this up. God's in charge. Well, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So this is his place. But he gave us dominion and authority and responsibility and told us to take charge on planet earth. So human beings are given dominion over the earth. We partner up with God? Absolutely. Do we ask God to bless and anoint our efforts? Absolutely. Does he do so? Yes. And he but we are God's overseers on planet Earth. So I want to ask another simple question. If things go wrong on Earth, whose fault is it? God's or people's? It's people's fault. Wow, this is, I'm already, a, I can't, oh, I'm about to explode, I can't think of it. It's, it's our fault. It's our fault. If there's violence, murder, starvation, war, crime, theft, Domestic violence, sex trafficking, fraud, suffering of any kind. Whose fault is it? Yeah, it's our fault. It's not God's fault, it's people's fault. Now you say, where do you get that in the Bible? From the Bible, Romans chapter 1. I would encourage you seriously, if you're taking a little note, say, I'm going to read, thoroughly read, carefully read Romans chapter 1. It'll give you lots of insight. And Romans chapter 1 might take you 90 seconds to read it, so I know it's an incredible commitment, but I want to encourage you to do it. We're going to look at a few verses here. Romans 1, 28-32, Furthermore, just as they, people, human beings, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You see what he's saying? If we read the whole thing, they say there was a time everybody knew there was a God, but now people decided, eh, I don't want to retain the knowledge of God, the ways of God, the principles of God. I don't want to retain those. So furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved, that's a word we hear a lot, but you may not know what it means. It means morally corrupt. He gave them over to a depraved, morally corrupt mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree, you see what kind of decree it is? It's a righteous one. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve what? Death. They, do, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You will find out that people who want to sin, me, you, anybody, we don't want to sin alone. We want to get people to sin with us. So they're approving and endorsing sin. 
So you say, well, well, what are you saying? That I'm saying the problem with planet Earth is that human beings have said a big, fat no to God. That's the problem on planet Earth. We have said no to God, no to his ways, no to his principles, no to his precepts. We don't want to re retain the knowledge of God because we'd rather be our own God. So you hear me say this a lot because this is, and by the way, this is not new to the culture. We live in this culture, so we look around the culture and say, oh, the culture's awful. It's always been awful. Read your Old Testament. R read, read what the goals of the culture and society was in the 1960s. You will see, wow, so this isn't something new. No, this isn't anything new. But here's the bottom line. We say, I don't want to retain the knowledge of God. I don't want to do the things of God. I don't want to do what God says. By the way, side note, God's ways work. But we think, I don't think so. I think I got a better way. We don't have a better way. I, I can fix it. I can do it. I've told the story before, but this is what it reminds me of when we say, I'm not going to do things God's way. When I was about 15 years old, we came home from church one day, and they said, something's wrong with the spray hose, the nozzle on the spray hose. Something's clogging it up or not working right. So, you know, the garden hose is on. I say, well, I'll check it out. So I turned the nozzle towards me because I want to see what's in there that's clogging it up, and I spin the thing. You all know what happened. It shot me right in the face. It took me a millisecond to say, that was really stupid. But I thought I had a way. I'll fix it. It wasn't a very good way. Now, had I consulted my father, just like a heavenly father, said, hey, Dad, I got this great idea. I'm going to look in that thing and see it. He would have said, bad idea, son, and here's why. Now, if I would have had enough sense, I would have said, ah, good point. I almost made a big mistake. But some people say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll do it anyway. And then we get sprayed in the face. God's ways work. But the world says there's something in every one of us. I'm talking to me and you too. There's something in every one of us that says, I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, where I want to do it. And that's just the way it is. And I don't want God, religion, and I don't want nothing getting in the way of how I want to do life. So the big problem that we hear over and over and over again, why is things so shipwrecked on planet Earth? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there violence? Why is there all this stuff that goes on in the world? You know, if, if God's actively involved in humanity, then what is going on? Well, what's going on is humanity has decided to ditch God and decided to do things their own way. We just read that. Now, I'll show you an illustration of, of what happened, and I've shared it with you before, but I like the story, and it bears the point, because that were the problem. You'll see it from the simple illustration. One day, I come down to the kitchen, and my son Mitch is eating. He's about 14 years old. He's in deep thought. He's eating a bowl of cereal or something. Man, you can tell he's just, like, focused. He's eating away. And I look up. He looks up and I said, how's it going, son? He said, good. He said, I got a question for you. He said, if you had only one wish, what would it be? And I said, well, I said, it's a good question. If I had only one wish, now, if I was a beauty pageant person, I would say what? World peace, exactly. So, and so, but I, I looked at him, since I wasn't a beauty pageant, and I said, you know, if I had one wish in all the world, it'd be this, that everyone on planet Earth right now would become a real deal, genuine Christian. Not one that signs a little survey that they're a Christian. No, a real deal, life-changing, following Jesus, obeying God, Christian. I said, just think about that, son, if that would happen. There would be no war. There would be no crime. 
the billions of dollars we spend on military wouldn't have to be spent on military. The billions of dollars we spend in, in prisons and all that wouldn't have to be, because there's no crime, there's no murder, there's no domestic violence, there's no any, there's nothing. None of the ills and evils of the world would be there. The world would change immediately like that. And I told him, I said, now we'd still wouldn't solve things like hurricanes and, you know, all that. But I'll tell you, the response taking care of people would be faster if everybody loved Jesus and wanted to do the word of God. So I said, I think if everyone was a real deal believer, 99% of humanity's problems would be solved like that. Now, if it wasn't our fault, that shouldn't fix anything. If it's not people's fault, then everybody becoming a real deal Christian and loving Jesus and obeying his principles wouldn't solve the problems in the world. But it does, just like that. So I asked him, I said, what would you wish for? And I'm thinking, you know, I've just put some good knowledge in him. You know, I've just like poured my heart. I'm, I've waxed eloquently. I've, I've, you know, great philosophy, great theology. I've given it to him. And so he looks up bright-eyed and he said, I'd be Superman. <laughs> and, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm glad to know that my little talk, you know, really changed your life. So, but do you see how that solves the problems in humanity? Because we're the problem. Now, I told you God's plan may not meet your approval, and we have all kinds of plans. Like, here's a plan people have. Why doesn't God just snuff out the evildoers? Now, God's in a precarious situation, although I don't think he cares because he's not nervous about what we think. When he does snuff out evil, he's a horrible monster. When he doesn't snuff out evil, well, he apparently doesn't care, so it doesn't seem like he can do anything that makes people happy. But we say, well, why don't God just snuff out like the warmongers, the sex traffickers, the murderers, the, the drug dealers, the, the abusers? Why don't he just snuff them out and the world would be a better place? But here's a problem. Everybody thinks they're good. If you go witness to people, I would venture to say it's, my own statistics, so it hasn't been tried or proven. But I would say if you went and asked 100 people, when you die, do you think you'll go to heaven? I would bet 7 out of 10 would probably tell you, I think so, because I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I think that's what most people say. I'm a pretty good person. You know, when I've witnessed people, generally the line after that, I've, I'm a pretty good person. I'm serious. I've heard so many times, I'm not a murderer or nothing. That's the line that follows. So they got a moral line. I'm not a murderer, so I should be good. Well, see, God is so holy. God is so righteous. God is so impeccable, so flawless, that his sensitivity to sin is far keener than ours. His hatred for injustice and unrighteousness and wrong is sharper than ours. So I think we have to be very careful what we ask for if we say, why don't you just wipe out everybody who does evil? Because I'm going to reread to you the list we just read that God says is evil. They are full of envy. Have you ever been envious? Yeah, you're below the line. The next one's murder. So people, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Okay, well, we'll take that off your list. You ever had strife or created strife? Deceit? Malice? Malice means spite or been spiteful. Have you ever done anything spiteful? They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters. Well, I'm not a God-hater. Okay, well, we'll take that off your list then. Insolent. I'm not sure. I don't know what it means. It means rude. You ever been rude? How rude. 
arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Now we may say, I haven't invented any ways of doing evil. Okay. They disobey their parents. I know none of us here have ever done that. So when we look at the list, I think there's like 13 in this list. Basically, I would say almost every one of us are guilty of 10 of them. So by God's impeccable holiness, we just ask him to destroy us and everybody we know. So we go, well, I didn't want him to do that because I got a moral line that I think is good enough. And anybody below that line, I don't mind God dealing with. Well, unless they're my loved one, my friend, the neighbor I like, or, you know, somebody like that. I don't want him doing that. So we want God to deal with this. But everybody's got a moral line, and I guarantee you our moral line is, and if you've got, I don't care how high your moral line is, it's beneath God's. Now, I want to say something here because I don't want people to be confused. You might say, so you're telling me that if I'm really, really good and I'm really, really moral and I'm really, really wonderful, then I can be right before God. No, because you can't do it. That's why we need a Savior. We can't ever get our moral line up high enough to deserve salvation. So what we couldn't do, the Bible says, because our flesh was weak, God did for us by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin. And he made all the righteous requirements of the law. He, he caused them to be fully met in us. Our only hope is Jesus. Now, that's a Christian worldview. When you say, well, I think there's lots of ways to go to heaven. I want you to know this. And I, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, because I believe there's Christians, people who genuinely are saved, who don't believe Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. I'm just saying they don't have a Christian worldview. Because a Christian worldview believes Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So, the idea of him just wiping everybody out would be bad because without Jesus, we would be on that list. So again, it's hard for God to keep everybody happy. In Luke 13, we won't get into that too much, but immediately there's an unproductive tree and said, let's chop that baby down, get rid of that thing. And Jesus is telling this parable, he says, no, let's not get rid of it, let's take care of it. Let's spend a year investing in it. We'll dig up around it, and we'll fertilize it. Now, fertilizing, it sounds like a beautiful word until you look it up in the Young's literal. He says, let's dig around it and cover it with dung, manure. He said, I told you things about God's plan I don't like. I like not being cut down, but I don't like being covered in manure. <laughs> but what's happening is God's trying to bring health and life. He doesn't want just immediately. That's everybody's first, let's just kill everybody or get rid of them. No, let's, let's nurture and care for, and that's God's heart. You say, so God never judges? Oh, yeah, he does. You'll see that in the flood. You'll see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll see that in uh, he was going to judge Nineveh. Because what happens, though, if you watch God's pattern, he waits till things are utterly irredeemable. He says about the day of Noah, no one even had a good thought. No one even had a good thought. The world has become irredeemable. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, he said, here's a couple nations, don't touch them because their sin basically hasn't got to the boiling point. And until it gets to the boiling point, I'm going to keep showing mercy and keep showing mercy. Now that's a sight of God that actually aggravates us too. It aggravated Jonah. This is what I knew you would do. I knew you, God. You're, you, 
You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love, and you hate to send judgment. Because what did Jonah want to do? The Syrians were ruthless, barbaric, awful people. He wanted them to kill them. He's there to preach a message in Nineveh. It was like a three-day journey across Nineveh, so it was a big city. And he had to walk across Nineveh, and he had to preach to repent and turn to God. He didn't like the Assyrians. I picture him doing it like this. Repent and turn to God. No, seriously, you need to repent and turn to God, you know. Okay, hey, I'm, I'm obeying you, God. Repent and turn to God. You know they've repented and turned to God? National revival? The king even muzzled the animals so they would fast, and the people fasted, and God spared them. Wow. He will send judgment, but it's usually far past where we would judge. Unless, of course, I'm serious, unless, of course, it's us. We want plenty of mercy sent our way. So, I told you God's plan may not meet your approval. You may not like it, but this is the Bible, what it teaches about God and how he works in the world. He uses us. Now, here's another bad idea, from my opinion, from God. Now, when I say that, Darlene always gets after me. I say, quit saying God had a bad idea. From a human perspective, this is a bad idea. But it's God's idea. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He's met up with everybody. Then one day he sees the ladies, the Marys and Martha and all of them, and he says, tell the disciples to come meet me on a mountain. I want to talk to them. So they go meet him on a mountain. And it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. See, I already think this is a bad plan. When we've watched the disciples over the course of three years, they were pretty often knuckleheads. And he says, here's the plan. So here's the plan. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus said, I bought back all the authority. I've won it. And I'm handing it over to you. Now, therefore, go into all the world. Make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. The reason I think it's a bad idea is he's given the assignment for global evangelization to these 11 folks who haven't proven to be that good at what they do yet. But I want to ask the question, Who's responsible for winning the world? God, angels, or us? Us. God did his part. He still empowers. He still enables. He still partners up with us. But we are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. That's backed up by Romans 10, 14 and 15. Early in Romans it says, uh, Whoever believes upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. But then he goes on, But hold on, we got a problem. How then can people call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Don't get nervous by the word preach. It means to talk or share or proclaim. And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So it's us he wants to use. Let me show you how committed God is to this plan. Every time we get on this subject, I mention it. Saul hates Christianity. Saul is trying to stamp out Christianity. Saul has held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. While he's still blurting out murderous threats, he went to the high priests and he got letters of authority to imprison, beat, or even kill. 
and he could do so with no penalty. He was a double O agent. He could kill, he was free to kill and not get in trouble. And while he's on the way to do that, he meets the resurrected Jesus. There's a blinding light. There's a voice. Others said they heard what sounded like thunder. The resurrected Jesus talks to Saul. Saul goes blind. Here's what I mention every time. This, to me, verifies and solidifies the fact that God uses us. Because in my opinion, who would be better at leading someone to Jesus? How about the resurrected Jesus? He would be a pretty good person to lead him, but he doesn't. He says, I'm going to send you to the city. He, he talks to Ananias. He says, Ananias, you need to go pray for Paul. Ananias prays for Paul. His blindness is healed. His eyes are opened. He receives the Holy Spirit. He becomes a believer, a Christian. He's written most of our, our New Testament books are written by the guy who was formerly named Saul, who's now named Paul. And God used a person. Jesus did not even use himself. Biblically speaking, in John 10, and there's so much more to this in John 10, so it's want to be, have biblical integrity. But back in the day, they used to have a pen. Just visualize this as a, a sheep pen. It's got walls all the way around it, no ceiling on it or anything. There's a gate. We'll pretend the door's back there, the gate. And small businessmen would have their sheep around there, and they're, they're, they might house 10 different shepherd sheep. And Jesus said that anyone who comes in over the wall is a thief and a liar. Because the real shepherd goes to the gate. And the guard of the gate opens the door and lets them in. And when he calls, his little cluster of sheep come and follow him, for they know his voice. Well, Jesus is coming into the world to rescue humanity. And in case that ever you wondered why, I'm going to tell you why, according to Scripture. Satan, the serpent, they steal authority from Adam and Eve, but they don't have a right to because they came in over the wall. Authority on planet Earth was given to whom? Human beings. Not to Satan, not to a serpent, not to an animal. To human beings. They were thieves, liars, and robbers. Jesus is going to come into the Earth. Guess what? He comes in through the gate. He's born a human being. Hmm. Think about that. Why did he do it? Why didn't God just do it? Because... He's not going to violate his own principle. He gave authority to human beings. So God clothed himself. By the way, I want to say this clearly. Jesus was still God. Very God, very man. We'll see how he dealt with that here in a second. But he said, if I'm going to win back this authority, I have to do it as a man, as a human being. And so he does that. We see in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, so you get it, he's God, very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in what? Human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He actually did the right thing the right way. Who has authority on earth? We do, human beings. And so Jesus came and clothed himself in, a, in flesh. The Bible says all the fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form, so I'm not taking away his deity. The Bible said he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He is deity. 
You say, well, how in the world did he heal people and raise the dead and do all that? I'm so glad you asked. In Acts 10.38, it says, we know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is the exact pattern you and I as believers are supposed to operate on planet Earth. You say, well, I don't know about that. Okay, let me ask this question. Was there ever a single time that Jesus cast out a demon, healed a sick person, raised the dead, that he looked at his disciples and said, kids, don't try this at home. You don't have what it takes to do this. I was able to do this because I'm God. Or were there times when they said, we couldn't cast out the demon, we couldn't heal the sick, we couldn't do this. And Jesus looked at them and said, because you're faithless and unbelieving. You're faithless and unbelieving. How long will I deal with you? Wouldn't it have been right for him to say, you can't do this stuff. This is God's stuff. But he didn't say that because on planet Earth, he didn't operate under the authority of being God. He operated under the authority God the Father gave him when he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And then he went about doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus just told, we just read earlier, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always. So if you read Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2, you would say and come to the conclusion, wow, we're supposed to operate just like Jesus did. Now I know somebody or many somebodies might be saying, I've never heard that before. This is just the Bible. It's sad if you've never heard it before and you've gone to church. This is the Bible. I'm not making any of it up. You can check it out. In fact, Paul never got mad when anybody checked him out. He said, the Bereans were more noble than all the rest, for they sought the scriptures daily to see if the things I was telling them were true. So I don't mind if it aggravates you. You say, well, that's not true, and I'll go prove that. Well, go, go prove it. I've told the story, but I only got so many stories. My mother came to me and said, I heard a preacher say that we ought to pray out loud. That's ridiculous. We don't have to pray out loud. I said, well, so she said, I'm going to go prove it. I said, well, go have at it, because I got frustrated when I heard that once, too, and I studied it out, and I determined the best way to pray is out loud. Now, can you pray in your head? Absolutely you can. But when you're commanding something, God's always used the power of words, 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 words. Again, can you pray in your head? Sure you can, absolutely. Can you fellowship with God in your mind? Absolutely. But if you're commanding something, the best way to do it is words, because that's what Jesus illustrated. Again, Jesus walks up to a tree and says, shall no man eat fruit from you again? And the disciples who were with him heard it. Hmm. The winds and the waves are about to shipwreck him. And he doesn't go, okay, let me think. No, he says, peace be still. He uses words. My words, they are spirit and they are life. He's teaching us how to do this. And it would have been a really good time in any of these illustrations for him to say, you all can't do that. This is God's stuff. But he actually rebukes us when we can't do it and tells us to grow and, and move forward in our walks with God. So the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the Bible says, so we can go be his agents and representatives on earth. I want you to get that. Me, you, all of us. So I ask, what are we going to do on a regular basis to relieve suffering in the world? What are you going to do? Well, I really wasn't planning on doing nothing. I just thought you could do it, Pastor. I think we all need to do it. We all need to do it. 
Now, I know you can't relieve all the suffering in the world, but you can relieve some of it. Ephesians tells us this. It's so simple. Everything gets done when everybody does their part. It doesn't say everything gets done when one person does it all. Everything gets done when everyone does their part. Just like what Justin was saying. You know, 10, 20 people said, well, we'll help out in the children's ministry. He would lay out a thing and say, you only need to help three times a year. Oh. Or we can say, let's just let two people help, and they can do it 52 times a year until when they go to bed on Saturday night, they say, I don't want to go to church. Church is just work, work, work. You know, and we've done that. I'm not saying crossroads. The church has done that to people. I've, I've often said, if you volunteer to make coffee for two weeks for the Sunday school class, you'll be making it for 20 years. You, that two weeks will you'll become your job to do that. We need to spread the love around. So what are you going to do on a regular basis? I really want you to think about that. Because you and I, talking to me too, We've all got frustrated with God, why he doesn't do something. And then we get frustrated, and then we go back to laying out by the pool. Okay. Hmm. What are we going to do? Jesus said the righteous stood before him, and Jesus said, I just want to thank you all so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I didn't have a place to spend the night, and you gave me lodging. I was sick, and you visited and comforted me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will look at him and say, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or without lodging or naked and clothe you or, or in prison or sick? When did we see that? And Jesus will say, when you did it to the least of them, you did it to me. What are we going to do to relieve some suffering in the world? Now, again, I'm not saying I'll have to quit my job and I'll have to go do it. No. There needs to be a relief of suffering every place you work, every place you shop, every place in your neighborhood, where you go to school, every place. God needs his agents everywhere in every walk of life relieving some pain and suffering. Jesus tells a story about He's throwing a big old banquet. And he says, go out and invite them all in. The banquet represents the kingdom of God and participating in the kingdom of God. He goes to one. He said, you know, man, sounds like a wonderful invitation. So sorry we can't be there. But I just bought a field. And I need to go look at it. Look at a field? I mean, can't you look at a field any time? If you bought it, you could do that any time, but you're going to ignore the banquet. Yeah. So he goes to someone else. Hey, I want to invite you to this banquet. And he says, oh, thanks so much for the invitation. But I just bought some oxen, and I need to go try them. Hmm. Invite somebody else. He said, thanks for the invitation, but I, I just got married. I, I can't do any of that. Hmm. What are we going to do to represent Jesus on planet Earth? What are we going to do to relieve suffering? What are we going to do to relieve pain? It could be as simple as a smile or a kind word. It could be as simple as helping out a little bit. I remember being in a checkout line one time, and the guy's card didn't work, and, and uh, he's over there calling his wife, what all of us men do when something doesn't work. Hey, what's going on here? Why isn't this working? Now, I have to 
be brutally honest and tell you the whole story so I don't sound super generous. I looked and there's just like three or four items there, but I thought, it could be that he's got a TV back in layaway, so I need to ask the question. So I said, how, how much did he owe? And I don't remember what. If you hear me tell the story, it'll be different every time. It wasn't much, 12 bucks or something. I said, I got it covered. You know, person thanked me. <laughs> this young lady working the, the register said, you've restored my faith in humanity. I thought, wow, 12 bucks? Okay, hey, that was, that was a good investment. Her faith in humanity had been restored for $12 or whatever it was. What can you do? That relieved a little pain and suffering from that person who was struggling with that. So what are you going to do? You say, well, you know what? I was going to do something, but I got some Netflix I got to binge watch or some Hulu or some Paramount Plus or whatever. There's like a gazillion of them out there nowadays. Uh, and when I'm all done with that, I'll probably binge watch again. Uh, but hey, I was going to help, but you know what? I got, I got tea times and golf clubs all over Indiana on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I just, I can't get to, man, I'd love to help, but is, this is fishing time, and I got to wet a line and just really, you know, enjoy some fishing. You, you, whatever, you can fill in the blank, whatever. Now, is there anything wrong with recreation entertainment? Absolutely not. But when you say, I can't participate in the kingdom because I got a field, no, that's putting too much emphasis on the field. I, I can't invest because of this. No, you can invest. And so I'm encouraged. I'm talking to me and to you. What are you going to do on a regular basis? Not just today and get that off your to-do. On a regular basis to relieve some pain and suffering in people's lives. When we do that, the world becomes a better place. You become a better person. Everything is better. And when you do that, you're fulfilling the mission of God. God's plan is for we human beings to go be his hands and feet on planet Earth. Let's be part of that solution. Let's relieve some pain this week.